This is Lancaster, global research tales from the north of England. I think the important thing is to be realistic and not preach. And, you know, I've got a 14-year-old at home who drinks and eats stuff that I would not recommend as being healthy. But we just have to be realistic that this is part of our life. These, these foods, these products are out there. So it's about get creating an awareness and maybe reducing the number of unhealthy foods we consume. See it as a treat. It's not about saying never ever. It's just about thinking, okay, how can I supplement this with the better foods? How can I swap this with maybe with something that's equally tasty, but it's just healthier. My name's Professor Sandra Sunramli from the Department of Psychology at Lancaster University, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about my research now. Did you know that in 2016, 1.9 billion adults were overweight, and of those, 650 million were obese? Scary statistics. We are literally drinking and eating ourselves fat. Now, excessive sugar consumption is actually one of the key contributing factors in these statistics. I've worked with the food and drink manufacturing industry, and through this work we've shown that dietary sugar can also negatively impact on your cognitive performance. In addition to that, with our work we've challenged conventional wisdom that sugary drinks somehow increase alertness so they make you feel more alert. I wasn't particularly interested in nutrition when I looked at doing my PhD. I was given the opportunity to do some study into glucose and brain function and at that time what I thought it was some kind of neuroimaging study where we're looking at glucose metabolism. And then I entered the lab and I'm, instead of a fancy machine, I was given a few glucose packets to investigate the effect of sugar on cognitive function. And even though I was initially a little bit disappointed not to work with the fancy machines, actually I got really, really interested in doing that kind of stuff. Because partly at that time, the general thinking was that little variations in your blood sugar level actually don't affect cognitive performance. So they wouldn't do anything to the way you con can concentrate or the way your memory works. It was only thought that if your blood sugar levels gets really, really low, so if you haven't eaten for a long, long time, then you find impairments. Now, with my initial studies, we showed that actually small variations, so just having a little sugary drink, can actually impact your performance. And so what I did, I got in touch with a food manufacturing company and I said, look, I'm doing this research, would you be interested? And this was way before we actually looked into the effects of nutrition and mental performance or mood. And this was really where we started to look at the effects of raising blood sugar levels slightly so just a slight raise like you would have with any kind of food product or drink and how this affects cognitive performance. So what we found and this is quite interesting is that the brain the areas in the brain that seem to be more susceptible 
to these slight variations and others not. So the one area that seems to be particularly susceptible is an area we know is involved in memory performance, and that's the hippocampus. So it's kind of deep here into the medial temporal lobe. And the hippocampus seems to be particularly susceptible. Now, if you think about stuff you seem to memorize particularly well, it's often things that are slightly stressful or slightly out of the ordinary. So if I go to the supermarket today and I park my car somewhere and you ask me the next week, where have you parked your car? I probably won't remember. If I go to the supermarket, I park my car and I come back and somebody had bumped into my car, you ask me a week later, I probably can tell you, well, it was right there in aisle so-and-so and row so-and-so. Now, when you look at the information content of that situation, it's actually not that different. But the difference was the reaction of my body is basically I had a stress response. So stress hormones, adrenaline, cortisol are raised because, well, I was stressed out by having this bump in my car. And one of the things that happen when you have a stress response is your glucose levels are raised. Why is that the case? Well, for one, usually from a kind of evolutionary point of view, when we were stressed, we had to run away from the tiger or we had to fight the tiger. Okay, so we need additional resources. But we also need additional resources for our brain to remember that particular situation. So that might be the reason why memory is particularly susceptible to these little changes. So the important thing to note is that with our initial studies, what we found was that if you give the body a boost with glucose, this then kind of goes to the brain, some areas function better. But that's not to say we should boost this all the time. What seems to be important, what we know now, for good mental performance, for good mood, for stable performance, is to keep equally your blood glucose levels stable. So that basically means your brain has a steady supply of glucose, one of the major fuels, and, but you also don't end up in these peaks and troughs. Because if you administer a high amount of sugar, what your body does, it creates the response, which means an insulin release. Because without insulin, our body can't actually work with the glucose. But that insulin release then means that when the glucose is taken up and used by cells, we actually often dip further down than we were before with our blood sugar levels. So you end up with a dip. And this peaking and these troughs and peaking and troughs are not good for cognitive performance, are not good for mental alertness, for feeling you know, alert and active and energetic, but also in the long run, and this is another kind of scary statistic, this can actually lead to diabetes type 2. Because your pancreas, the organ in our brain that releases insulin, almost becomes fatigued. The cells that have to deal with a lot of insulin input become resistant to insulin. Now, 
the interesting thing is that when we started the research and we because I'm interested in cognitive performance we also found that actually there seems to be almost a sweet spot where you can increase cognitive performance through a little sugar load but if you go above that it doesn't actually increase your performance so here there was almost from a kind of cognitive performance aspect there was already a reason to reduce the sugar load in some of these drinks because actually when we look at the positive effect it might have on alertness on increasing your ability to concentrate then some of the higher loads weren't actually um, good in achieving that. I think we have to say that there might be a place for sugary drinks if you haven't had the chance to eat or if you if you are in a situation where you exert yourself and I'm talking really exerting yourself um, in general the recommendation would be to avoid any sugary drinks or maybe see them as a treat because we can't deny the fact that they're out there so go for the low sugar uh, or no, even no sugar um, drink option because our body doesn't need these spikes. From an experimental point of view, it was important for us to demonstrate that these kind of little changes affect cognitive performance. But across, kind of across the day and also across the lifespan, what is good nutrition or healthy nutrition is actually to have, when we talk about sugar or carbohydrates, have those that are slowly released into the bloodstream so you keep your blood sugar levels stable. They're never completely stable. There are always fluctuations. But what we try to avoid is these peaks and then these troughs, the extremes in a way. The, the research we've done, they were all following a clinical research protocol. So we had uh, placebo uh, drinks and we had um, drinks that were sweetened with sugar. And what we found, and again, it's important here to see that this is the kind of experimental finding, is that if we administer usually around the 25 gram of sugar, then we can find an increase in performance compared to people who had a non-sugar sweetened drink. If we, however, test them, say, three hours later, then actually the ones that had a sugary drink might perform less good because they are now their blood sugar levels are going down and they don't have the optimal amount for brain function at that point. The good thing really is that with this research and my research is only a small part of that it basically helped industry to change their drinks in a way that is better for the consumer and Consumer choice is a difficult one because, you know, we have these drinks or these products and they're out there and people like them. And why would they not buy them if they're in the shop? So if you can have these products in shops where, you know, actually they are healthier because their sugar load has been reduced. I don't know if we think about breakfast cereals where... They have more fibers in them where when then, you know, the, the sugar load is reduced as well. So you can actually uh, manufacture products that already intrinsically don't lead to this 
big rise in blood sugar levels. I think through my work with industry, it somewhat made it easier for the consumer to choose products that are healthier. They're not necessarily healthy, but they're healthier. I do like the work in collaboration with industry and my experience with industry was always that they were very interested in the science. And uh, a lot of these changes that through my research and research of others has actually helped to create some better products. So I think that is a good thing. And it takes the kind of science out of the where well, we don't have an ivory tower, but, you know, it takes it out and it actually is beneficial to the public. I think I'm particularly interested at the moment as well to look at nutrition and the effects of nutrition on children because what we know is that the stuff we do in early age uh, actually affects our health status later on in life. That doesn't mean we can't do good changes later on in life that still have a great impact on our health, but it's really about looking at setting children up to eat the right foods and to create an awareness as well in children about what are the right foods. So one of the studies we've done, which came out quite recently, was actually looking at the glycemic response to different uh, carbohydrates in children because most of the research has been done in adults and so we can't just assume children are smaller version of adults. There are different kind of hormonal, different physiological mechanisms going on. So that was very exciting work we did. And we hope then to follow this up by looking at how different manipulations of the glycemic, your blood sugar response, can actually then affect cognitive performance in children across the morning because when we think about when is learning and memory really really important well that's uh, that's at school age children so trying to come up with recommendations that allow parents as well to choose the right breakfast foods um, for example for children to set them up for a good learning day and I think people are interested and it's still, I would say, that the level of awareness, there is an awareness, but very often the nutritional recommendations we get, think about the five a day. I don't think anybody knows how much the five a day are and what, <laughs> which five a day. So I think we have to keep it simple in terms of our messaging, but also doable and achievable. And I think that will end up then with a nutrition that across board that's uh, better for children and adults alike. Thanks for listening to This is Lancaster, global research tales from the north of England. To listen to more, just search podcasts at Lancaster University.